Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like the episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running. Second, if you are a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, we created an ebook for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All we charge is our admin cost to keep the show running. So, if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says get the ebook to grab yourself a copy today. So with that said, let's dive right in. Today we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Alex Jarbo with us from, oh man, I wrote it in the wrong spot. There we go. Sargon Investments and his YouTube channel, Alex Builds. Uh, I'm super excited to jump into this. Alex's, uh, his niche is short-term rentals, but you know, I know we've had a few short-term rental guys on here. Alex is different because he actually develops them himself. He doesn't buy, I mean, I'm sure you do a few of this, but his main, uh, his bread and butter is development. So I am excited to jump into this. Alex, thank you very much for hopping on. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got into real estate in the first place. So uh, I'm sure you got a good one. Why don't you take us back to the beginning? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah. So um, towards the, so I originally served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years and uh, sort of the, about a year before my enlistment was about to end, um, I did, I had decided that I didn't want to re-enlist. Um, so I just started looking into different things that I can get into. Um, I was on the tail end of a bachelor's degree, but it was just a general business degree. So I, I didn't know where that was going to take me. Um, so I just started reading up on different investing classes, uh, crypto, stock market, real estate. Real estate caught my eye because I, I appreciated the um, the control you could have over it. Um, so got into real estate um, books, bigger pockets books, um, and just started reading everything I can. Multifamily. At that time, there weren't really too many self-storage books, but multifamily, flipping um, house books and, um, joined a flipping mentorship, uh, when I was still in the military. And, um, when I realized the person who had run that flipping mentorship, all of his like long-term assets outside of, uh, were, were tied up in, uh, short-term rentals. This was back in 2015 or 16. Yeah. 2015. And, um, I, that immediately caught my attention over just flipping houses. I understand like it was, it, it's nice to have like that quick buck. Um, but I was, truly looking to build something long-term. Right. So he, um, he helped me actually choose the market that I'm currently in, which is Western North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina. And um, I moved here. You were living there before you got into real estate. No, no, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I moved here like the day of, like the day I got out of the the Marine Corps. Um, I had some stuff set up like, like an apartment and everything, but um 
yeah, I got my real estate license when I moved here. It took about like three-ish months. Um, and I just started, I, I did that just to understand. I didn't know anything about real estate contracts or anything. Um, so I helped some people purchase short-term rentals. Um, and I, obviously that's why I moved here. Um, so I started looking for short-term rentals. And at that time, everything was either completely out of my budget or um, it just, uh, the properties that I was looking at wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. They probably would have done well as long-term rentals, but like there wasn't really anything unique about them. So um, after honestly looking for like, if I had to guess, thinking back at anywhere between four to six months of looking, um, I decided to develop my first property. So my fir- my very first real estate investment was ground up development from raw oh, wow. land to ground up. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, and that's we, drinking from yeah, the pretty, just, right there. <laughs> yeah, just fed myself to the wolves immediately. Um, but yeah, the one turned into two really quickly, two turned into four, brought on investor capital. And just this year alone, we're developing 24. Damn, man. Nicely done. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, a good, yeah. uh, good little hockey stick. I like to hear, you know, especially once yeah. you get started, it's just, it's so addicting and you're like, this is a lot of fun. And so it's, yeah. Like- and you, you, you see, like, I'm seeing how, how much fun everyone's having with the properties too. Like, obviously you get like the onesie and twosie bad guests, but overall, like just some really cool experiences that we're building with people. So cool. It's awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's dive deeper into short-term rentals. Um, I mean, so what was it specifically that your, you know, that original mentor that you had that relationship with, what, how did he sell short-term rentals to you? Why did you, why were you drawn to that asset? The cash flow. I mean, like I was already, I was, I mean, I was already, yeah, I was already reading on like, uh, take for instance, like a, uh, like a long-term rental, like it, you would read it and it would say like, you, you're, you're, you're in the green. You're good. If you're cash flowing anywhere between three to $600 a month, like that's a good long-term rental. Um, and like the cash flows I was seeing on some of his properties were like three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 a month for relatively the same like purchase price, which now it's a little bit different, obviously, because everyone's in the mark, uh, in, in getting into short-term rentals, but um, the, the cash flow was the one thing that uh, really, re- really like opened my eyes to it. And just investing in sort of unique properties is really cool because there's sort of a built-in buffer in them, like where they rent better. And then um, I'm not going to say nothing's really recession-proof, but they're a little bit more recession-proof because there's sort of built-in exits where if they don't do well as short-term rentals, you can just sell them off as a really cool long-term rental or just sell them off to a couple or something. Yep. And that was actually going to be one of my questions. Um, you know, the the first stage of real estate is finding a deal. It's finding that property that you want to buy or develop. Um, when you do your underwriting, I, I know, you know, you have these crazy, I've seen some short-term rental guys, the numbers they throw out there. I'm just like, holy shit, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to make that per day. Um, but do yeah. you, so you get your numbers for your short-term rentals nightlies. Do you also underwrite it with the backup plan as, you know, I can rent it at 300 a night or I can rent it out as a long-term stay for 2000 a month or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I you know that's a phenomenal question. So before COVID, we would, we would underwrite them as long-term rentals. Um, and right now with, I mean, it's getting better with construction costs and everything, but some of the stuff we're doing, it, it, it would be like almost like a break-even number when it comes to renting them out long-term. I would say... The exit, the exit is built in to sell them right now. Um, mm-hmm. Compared to um, some of them, some of them would do really well. But like we're some of the ones we're developing are like resort type communities of uh, anywhere between like six to twelve, like micro resorts of anywhere between like six to twelve cabins. 
those probably wouldn't pencil out as long-term rentals, but I mean, that's more like a business where we would sell it off all at once. But um, yeah, no, that was definitely when, when I first started, I would, that would be the, the backup plan was, was underwriting them as a long-term rental, but just how crazy construction costs and everything have gotten, like they still make sense as short-term rentals, but probably not as a long-term rental. Yeah. No, I, we, I actually just got um, one of my self-storage facilities. We're looking to build it out and we just got a bid back at $90 per square foot. I know that doesn't sound like a lot for a, a short-term rental, but for self-storage, I mean, it's literally just, just a frame. What's, what's, a what's the actual, what's the, what's the normal number in self-storage for development usually? I mean, pre-COVID, uh, I never did development pre-COVID, but yeah, yeah. I, I had heard that it was around yeah. 50. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, so almost double. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just, that's to say, I understand, you know, construction costs have definitely taken a hit across the board. Um, yeah. You made one comment in there. You said community. That was one of my questions that I wanted to ask. You you guys have great goals. You, you're trying to hit 300 developed cabins in a three-year span, which is pretty quick. And you're doing it all in kind of the same area. So are you... It sounds like you're not doing one-offs. You are building communities like developments for exclusively for short-term rentals is that right yeah so um yeah it's every every single community that we're building is sort of like uh, there's some sort of theme to it whether it be an a-frame community a log cabin community we're doing like cottage style communities we're playing around with tree houses western houses on stilts um but western north carolina is really cool um because there's a lot of mountain markets within an out like you go an hour 45 minutes in a different direction and you're in a different mountain market um we're like um, I'm also looking into like Northern Michigan. We're like, like my home state, um, that because to get to three, four or 500 cabins, it can't just be all clustered together. Um, but yeah, the, what I realized in the last couple of years was the best use of my time. There was to, to me, there was no difference between looking at one, an, a one acre parcel of land or like looking at a 20 or a 30 acre parcel for the best use of my time driving out and looking at it it was the same amount for my engineer, for my GC. I mean, it was just, it was just adding extra cabins and, and bringing like, bring like appointments and everything. It it was practically the same amount of time. Um, So that's what I realized is like sticking to these like six to 12 cabin communities has been, has been sort of like the, the sweet spot. And we're also looking like you already mentioned it already. um, I'm not opposed to purchasing, um, I just like to purchase like we're we're purchasing we're working on a six cab or a seven cabin community right now um, that comes with like 10 acres that has like room f- for future development. Same thing with self-storage where like you, you, there might be a value add if there's some like acreage attached to the self-storage facility. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's that's how I plan on getting to that three, four, five hundred cabins is um, is investing in these different mountain markets that are within an hour, hour and a half of each other. And then. Um, anywhere between six to 12 cabins at the same time. And obviously you got to find a GC that, that is comfortable with taking up that type of work. Um, Cause a lot of GCs can't handle that much work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we've, te- we've teamed up with one of the best GCs in the city. So I don't, I don't really see any issue. I mean, they, they develop like the boutique hotels downtown. So. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get a good team, man, things start to click, but getting that team that I, I, pretty sure that's especially especially coming out of covid like i i guarantee like your team looks completely different than what it looked like before covid yep absolutely um so again 300 400 units that's a lot uh finding locations in my opinion has to be the hardest part of short-term rentals because you know i don't want to 
you know, go to some some submarket and rent a short term rental in like Auburn, Washington. People who aren't from Washington don't know that, but Auburn is just it's just someplace you don't want to do a short term rental. So I'm sure you're very limited in terms of locations. Um, what yeah. is the criteria that you look for when you're you're looking to build, you know, a six to twelve unit uh, a community out there? So I like to stay under 25 minutes drive to the city. Um, What COVID did was, and this wasn't our strategy. We just did this because the city of Asheville itself actually doesn't allow for short-term rentals. So all of our properties are in the county. Yeah, all of our properties are in the county. They're not in the city. But what COVID did was it pushed everyone from the metro markets and made them more comfortable driving into the city, but being a little bit further out from the city. Um, again, we didn't do that on purpose, but that helped us out a lot and sort of re- like solidified like our business model, like our, th- our thesis, right? Um, the biggest investing criteria I look at is just access, um, especially when you're 12 units that can sleep anywhere between four to eight people each unit. I mean, you're sending 20, 30 cars, including a cleaning crew, you're sending 20, 30 cars up there a day. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So your your access is going to be super important, but also it's important to the guests because a lot of times they're coming to the area at night. A lot of times they're coming they're coming into an area where they're they're not familiar with it. So you don't want your guests to be annoyed and driving 30 minutes up a gravel road before they even get to the property, right? That's going to freak them out. It's going to annoy them. Yeah. Um, so we like to be off of like a double lane state maintained road if we could. Um mm-hmm. And if not, uh, like one property that we're developing four at, which is a property I was working on a couple of years back, um, that one we put in like maybe a hundred meter driveway, but it was still off of a double lane state maintained road. There's a cabin community that we're doing nine cabins on right now, or eventually going to do nine cabins. We're starting with six. Uh, we put in like an 1100 foot road in, but from there, it still comes off like a double lane state maintained road. So access is going to be the huge thing. Um, that makes a lot then, of sense. Cause when I'm, when I'm going to a place, I, that is one thing I look for is I don't want to drive a hundred miles on this dinky little dirt road yeah, yeah. in order to get to the cabin. So that's a, and, that makes a lot of sense. And we, uh, based off of like some, like during, during COVID when everything was like exploding property values and everyone was, it's definitely cooled down a little bit, um, in terms of like price per like acre and just land in general. And there's some really good deals out there. Um, we've, we've sort of like, I've played around with like different type of like uh, communities, like design of community. So like a cottage community does does really well either in the mountains or just in the woods in general, like a like an old school cottage type like community. Log so, cabin kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or like maybe like if it's like um, like covered in stone, but with okay, like a really okay. cool design. Yeah. Um, log cabins will do well. And the, the cool thing about log cabins is they're a little bit mountain markets are a little bit less seasonal in general because people like to travel in the winter as well to mountain markets um but log cabins in in particular are very like less seasonal because like what's what's more iconic than like staying in a cabin in the woods in the winter right yeah. and then so like what what i've realized is like the uniqueness of the property helps with the seasonality of it is where during the winter the property becomes the attraction and where the property is an experience in itself I say Instagrammable properties. And yeah. then during during the summer, the market becomes the attraction where people are just staying at the property. That's yeah. uh that's a that, that's something you would only learn if you were in the uh in the niche itself. So that's good, right. good insight there. Um I have uh like a a a secret desire to build um a hobbit house uh long-term state. Oh, we have one like, here. Someone did it. Oh yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, I yeah, saw yeah. one, somebody did one here in Washington, and I was just like, that is so cool. 
It's cool because you just like back it up to a side of a cliff and just dump dirt on it. And it's like you build a house that just dump. That's what they did and just put a whole bunch of grass over it, essentially. Yeah. And they kind of come in pre prefab kind of like dome-ish looking things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, so are are your communities gated or is how much um, do you do in terms of the, you know, the non-structure in terms of the the landscaping? Yeah, we, we keep it very minimal, man, um, just to to maintain that feel of being in the woods. Um, and it obviously just helps our bottom line and just helps with construction costs. Um, some really cool amenities. I, I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of a gated community because it makes it feel more exclusive, even if it has six cabins. Because honestly, putting up a gate and like an automated gate is really not that expensive. Um, some of the, some of the, the things that we add is like, um, adding like disc, like disc golf is really cool. Like a couple baskets oh, for guests. Yeah. Cause that's just very, very cheap. In the people, ground. Yep. Love, people love that. Um, and just, uh, like grading some, some, depending on how big the land is grading some like hiking trails throughout as well. Okay. Even if it's like, if you have like, we just purchased 15 acres. So putting some hiking trails through has been, has been really cool just for people to take maybe a 10, 15 minute walk in the morning or afternoon or something. Yep. And so are your, um, I mean, you've mentioned mountain communities quite a bit. Do you also, do you look for things like lakes, uh, views? Do you require views or is it just anywhere that is 25 minutes into nature is a good, uh, good opportunity to build a, to build. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the hard part is like, I I would love to get mountain views, but honestly, the access to me is more important than the mountain views. Um, because just from managing, like, like starting five years ago, just managing the first couple where like the access was a little less like pe- here's the issue with mountain views. You have to drive up, you have to drive off a mountain to get to <laughs> mountain view. views. Sometimes that road, sometimes that view, sometimes that road is not the, it's, it's some could be a little rough sometimes. Right. Um, so that's why um, I would go with access over mountain views, but no, I mean, our, our very first prop, our first three properties have the best mountain views you could ask for. Perfect, man. I love it. Um, I did check the clock. We are rounding out the time. So I do have to move us forward. But before we do, I want to ask one last question. What you think the future of short-term rentals is? Um, The reason I asked this is I've had tons of people, not tons, I've had a handful of people on the show who do short-term rentals. And it seems like the popularity in in buying short-term rentals from kind of the the mom and pop um, person who just, you know, they don't have a business like you. It's just a you know, Joe and Sue go out and buy a short-term rental. And so they're, there's being flooded, pretty much every market is being flooded with short-term rentals. Um, so do you, what do you see for the future of short-term rentals, especially with Airbnb having such a monopoly on the access on people, you know, reserving, um, reserving the rental itself. And, uh, and I guess that's, that's where I'm going to leave that. What do you see in the future of it? Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm actually so I'm a I'm a bigger pockets writer for their short term rental content and I feel like I'm the only one who's actually pushing out content right now on the short term rental side <laughs> when it comes to blog posts. Um, I think I think the especially with us going through this market correction right now, I think those people are going to get weeded out really quickly. It's already happening if you look at if you look at the MLS, like very unique properties are being listed that were already short term rentals by people who thought it was cool to do it, but didn't really know what they were doing, didn't really have a business, didn't treat it as a business. So that's number one. Number two, I, I, what I, the future, short-term rentals have been around forever. Just back in the day, you had to pick up a phone to, to, to book a property compared to Airbnb and VRBO where you had to do it through your phone. So short-term rentals have been around forever. That's not going to change. Just the way we book them is going to change. What I see in the next five years happening, um, and it's, it's already happening now is people are stepping away from Airbnb and VRBO and they're, they're, they're more 
they're focusing on a direct booking model, which is it's almost like come full circle where that's what it used to be. But uh, more and more professionals are building out their own websites. Um, They're building their own properties, but building out their own personal websites where they can push traffic to compared to relying just on Airbnb and VRBO. And I say that in the course that I put together is that Airbnb and VRBO should just be looked at as a marketing arm of your business. It's it's not where your property should live. That's not where your business should live. Yep. Yep. That um that is perfect segue. Uh, I'm gonna move us on because I think feel like this is a good time. Uh so we're jumping in the quick question round. This is where I ask questions. You give quick answers. They don't have to be too quick, so don't feel pressure. But it always starts with books. I'm a big bookie, so give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. Real estate specific, and it might be a little bit too general for real estate, but The Creature from Jekyll Island uh, by uh, G. Edward Griffith. Yeah, that's that's been a book I've seen in the hands of a lot of very successful people. Just understanding how our financial system works is super important. Um, I I had originally read it as like a, a conspiracy book, um, but I started seeing it in a lot of a lot of hands of like real estate investors and a lot of real estate investors that I look up to were including Robert Kiyosaki, who was like in hand, like taking pictures with the book and recommending it. So that's, that would be the most impactful book I probably ever read. And then the second one, which would just be general would be uh, the one thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. That's, that's the, it's a picture book essentially. And I mean, that, that, that's super helpful, but that putting a structure to your whole life and businesses, and it's a 200 page book. It's easy. Yeah. No, the, the one thing is, is a great book. Um, I've never actually heard I think I feel like I've heard of it before, but I don't know what it's about. So, what is the creature from Jekyll Island? What is that about? It's it's the history on the Federal Reserve on just how our money system works. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Which is it's really it was really I've I'd read that book prior to COVID, so just seeing a lot of things play out the way they did with how much money we printed um, was it, it was it was just really cool to see that book sort of play out again yeah. because it covers like what happened in two thousand eight and nine. Um, and it essentially happened again with like how much money we printed. It, it was just a really cool general book on how our federal reserve system works. I don't really believe there's a chapter at the end of the book. That's a little, gets a little weird and a little conspiracy, conspiracy theory, theory a little yeah. aluminum tinfoil hat. Uh, but outside of that, it's a, it's a really good book. Uh, I'm going to have to pick one, that one up because I know very little about the fed reserve and uh, everything that goes on there. So I should probably know more. Um, good recommendation. Moving us on. This one is for your younger self. So if you could go back to the Alex who was just getting out of the Marine Corps or maybe just getting into the Marine Corps, um, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Yeah. And it's it's what it's what the one thing teaches is like sit down every day, figure out what your one thing needs to be and work on it for three to four hours a day. It doesn't matter how busy you are. When I was in the military, my one thing without realizing it was like just going to school and online. Um, but yeah, sit sit down for three to four hours a day. No, even if you have a full time job, which I was working 60, 70 hours a week in the military. Um, yeah, it's like set aside three hours a day to work on something, even if it's an hour, but three hours more preferable. Yep. Yep. That is uh, that's good advice. I love it. Moving on. This next one is your strength. We are all gifted with strengths that we uniquely can give to this world. Um, so what is your Superman strength? I'm really good at identifying like the highest and best use for like a piece of property or a piece of land um, is what I've realized the last like five years is I'm um, I mean, it just comes with experience, but like, and mistakes, but like, um, I'm really good at looking at a piece of property either in person or just say like through, through the web, uh, through the MLS and figuring out like where the value add needs to be. And I think that just comes from just reading so many real estate books. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that is a super useful and, uh, and valuable skill 
because some people will see a, a trashy lot with the uh, overgrown weeds and a crappy roof. And they're like, I'm never going to buy that house. But you bring a flipper there, they're going to be like, that is $200,000 in profit right there. So yeah, that, that's how we, we purchased 15 acres that were, that had like a literally a rundown single wide and a, a house that was like filled to the top with trash. And like that land was without that. Oops, looks like we are Alex is 125,000 and just tore those. All right, you uh it sounds like you're running into a little bit of technical issues there. Um I'm going to pause this recording. Okay. All right, we're back. Technical issues solved. Uh moving on to the next question. This is for tools. Tools are the backbone of every business. So what is one tool you could not live without? Right now, it's a company called StayFi, and I've been recommending them for the last year. So it's a little device that plugs into the back of your router. This is for my properties. And um, it, it does an email capture. Um, so like people have to sign into the Wi-Fi to get access to the Wi-Fi. And that way, we we capture all the guests' emails, and then we remarket to them outside of Airbnb and VRBO. So wow. that sort of plays into the strategy I was talking about earlier about direct booking. Right. Um, we can. There's nothing against Airbnb or anything that... You you can't take a guest off the platform if they're trying to book with you, but after they stay with you, it's fair game. Yeah, no, that is uh, that's super smart. I've never heard of that. That's uh, pretty unique. And it's cheap. It's like six bucks a month to do it. No, yeah, easy. Yeah. All right. Next one is for your mentors. We none of us are islands. We are all here together. We learn from uh, everybody that we have contact with. So, who is one mentor that has contributed to your career, and what did they do uh, to kind of pa- catapult you along? So I'm, I'm going to give two because there's two in my life right now. One is Paul Moore with Wellings Capital. Um, he sort of took me under his wing last year um, and sort of really taught me the ropes of like just high level capital raising, essentially. Um, and the second one is my one on one, which is Greg Dickerson uh, from Dickerson International. Um, he's he's he is the backbone of what I currently do. Perfect, man. I love it. Yeah. All right. And that leads us to the very last question. Um, This one is for the listeners. You've given us a lot of good advice. I'm sure people want to reach out. And then I know you have a course um, that you also offer. So why don't you say the best way to reach out and what they can see uh, once they get to that website? Yeah. Best way to reach out is uh, either through LinkedIn um, or just checking out what I'm uh, doing on my personal site. My personal site's alexjarbo.com. Spent the last six months on and off sort of put together, putting together a course uh, for short-term rental development specifically. Um, I essentially created the course that I wish I had when I started six years ago. Um, if I would have had this course, I probably would have saved 200 grand, 300 grand by now. Um, but yeah, I just, I created the course that I wish I had. There's a management piece to it. So how to put together the right team for development, a, a piece of what we talked about today on how to identify land and how to underwrite properties. Um, and then there's a management piece on how to put together your management team and how to manage the properties, templates, everything, group coaching, everything's in there. Awesome. So that is at alexjarbo.com, A-L-E-X-J-A-R-B-O.com. So if you guys want to get involved with that, go ahead and click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description. And in there, you can find Alex's link. So Alex, that wraps it up. I really appreciate you hopping on the show. Awesome. I appreciate you for having me on. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe with realestateinvestingclub.com. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. 
If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.